Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. The 39th Psalm, as we open the Word of God. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight. A message that I hope will stir somebody here, if only the one standing behind the pulpit. But my prayer is that God would, uh, would activate some faith in this place. And I want to talk to you about the one thing that stands in the way of biblical evangelism more than anything else. Are you with me so far? I want to talk about one thing that keeps the gospel from going forth more than anything else. The one thing that keeps sinners from hearing the good news more than any other thing. And when we're talking about that one thing tonight, we're not talking about some overarching government standing in the way. We're not talking about anti-conversion laws that are in place. Thankfully, we don't have those in the United States. We're not even talking about demon spirits that oppose the work of the church, even though we know that that's a reality. We're not even talking about Republicans or even Democrats tonight. The one thing that stands in the way of evangelism more than anything else is you. And me. And more specifically, the one awkward moment where you have to work up some insane amount of courage to begin talking about Jesus. At the end of the day, Albert Moeller says this, at the end of the day, the biggest obstacle to evangelism is Christians who don't share the gospel. And to illustrate that, I want to show you a five-minute video. I'll I'll tell you just some context for this video. Uh, My wife and I went and attended a a Casting Crowns concert a few months ago. It was a great, great concert. Uh, The lead singer of the the band, Casting Crowns, his name is Mark Hall. And he and his wife uh, are actually youth uh, pastors in their church in Atlanta, Georgia, And uh, on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays every week, they are ministering to their teen group uh, in their church. And then from Monday through Thursday, they're out on the road performing concerts uh, in front of thousands and thousands of people. It's a very incredible uh, ministry that they have continued to do. And every song, I'll tell you this, if you listen to Casting Crowns, you will know that every song is born out of a sermon, out of a message Uh, that he has preached and so this uh i want to take one of those songs and i want to preach 
the same message that came out of it. And so uh, I want to give you this five-minute video, an explainer about where the song came from. So please pay attention to the screen. So I was about 19 when, as a believer, I really started feeding myself, getting into the Word for myself. I started seeing things differently. I saw my weakness differently. My, my weaknesses were always reasons to stay quiet, and suddenly I started seeing them as, as things that were going to make me pray and keep me in a place where I had to depend on God. Suddenly my weakness became a strength. Um, I saw my past different. I saw that the things that were haunting me uh, those scars are now my story, and I could offer them to other people and show them how big God's love is. I started seeing people different. I saw my friends differently. I, I, I'd, I'd gone to school my whole life, like most of us, um, and I'd been a Christian, I, I, but I just didn't see people like Jesus did until then. And I began to look at my friendships. I began to look at the people I spent my time with, and I began to wonder about their souls. I began to wonder if they knew God, if they were afraid of the same things that I was, or, or if they they were going to be in heaven when I got there. Where did they stand with God? And it, and it hurt my heart that I didn't know, that I'd been in friends' lives for so long and never knew that. But once God shows you something, once God turns the light on in your life to something, you can't unknow it. So I was having to face the truth of not knowing where my friends stood every time I hung out with them. And I remember a guy named Garner uh, that I went to school with. He was smart. He was witty. He had a dry humor about him, and he was a lot smarter than me. And I sort of would just let him take the lead in most discussions. And I knew that I needed to share the gospel with Garner, and I wasn't even sure really what that meant. Everybody at church talked about it, share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. And I, I thought, I, I've got to do this. And, and it 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 weighed on me so much I thought I was going to do something wrong and Garner was going to run from God forever because I said something wrong. I thought I wasn't a good enough Christian. I wasn't a smart enough Christian and, and I was just going to mess everything up. And that was sort of my excuse to stay away from serving him in a lot of ways. It's just excuses. And I started realizing that who do I love here? Do, do I love my friend or do I love my friendship more than I love my friend? Because you, you've heard it said a lot, I, I want to share the gospel with this person, but I don't want to push them away. I don't want to lose the friendship. And I'm just thinking, what, what am I saying when I say that? I want them to be my friend more than I want them to know Jesus. And I, I had to face it. And I realized that I was going to have to do this. And we were going bowling because I don't know why anybody goes, but we went. And we were going bowling, and we were coming home from bowling, and I decided this is it. I've got to talk about Jesus to Garner. And I said, Garner, man, I just want to talk to you about God. I thought, let's just start it off real awkward, right? And he said, I'll never forget. He goes, all right. And it was silent for about 20 seconds, longest 20 seconds of my life. And I thought, if I don't do this, I'm not going to do this. And I remembered a few verses from Romans that I learned at church. And I just told him, God loves you. And I just want to know that I want you to know that, that, that I love you too. And I want to see you in heaven. I want to see you 
with Jesus in your life. And, and I share with him my story. And I said, you know me. I, I don't, I, I do every, I'm tripping over life every day. And being a Christian for me isn't about doing everything right. It's about the fact that I'm never going to be alone again. And the fact that God loves me so much, he deals with all of my stuff too. And I know that if he can save me, he can save you. And it wasn't anywhere that, that well said. And I remember at the end, he said, thanks, man. Um, I appreciate that. And there was about another two minutes of silence. And I got out of my car and I got into, out of his car and I got into mine. And I thought, well, I just blew that one for you, Lord. And it was years before he texted me. Um, and I got my number, found out I was in Crowns, and texted me and said, I want you to know I'm a believer now, and we're in church, and my kids are in church. And looking back, I know how hard that was for you to do that. And I want to thank you for sharing truth with me, even though you didn't know what I was going to say back. And man, that was awesome. I, I just want to ask you something. There are people in your life that the preachers aren't going to get to. There are people that are important to you that your heart's broken for that I may never sing to. So I think if you love them that much, they're worth one awkward moment. One moment where you let your walls down and say, I love you. And I love you so much. I've earned the right with this friendship to tell you you need Jesus. It's not telling people that you're better than them. It's not telling people that they're bad. They just need the Lord, just like you do. People are worth that awkward moment. Okay, so I'm going to show you a video with that song uh, at the end of this message. But I'll just, uh, I'll just give you the chorus, the lyrics to the chorus. Uh, they are one word, one hand. Tell me, is that too high a price? One awkward moment could be the one that saves a life. Your hurt, your scars, God will use to open up her eyes. One awkward moment, you'll see the gospel come alive. And that's what my message is tonight. That Christians, we must be willing to endure one awkward moment if we're going to allow God to use our lives. And my, the title of my message this evening is, It is Time to Put the Angel Back in the Word Evangelical. So let's read together in Psalm 39. And I just want to read the, the first three verses there and inspire you, I pray, that God would help us this evening. As we look into God's word, I'm reading tonight from the New Living Translation. It says a psalm of David. I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. In this hot room tonight, we're asking that your presence would fill us once again, that we would hear your word, God, and be inspired. I thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, uh, it's time to put the angel 
back in evangelical. How many tonight you would say, I would consider myself to be an evangelical Christian? Let me see your hand. Evangelical Christian. It is a, uh, a, a moniker that has gained uh, in so many ways in the last 30 to 40 years. It's one of the fastest growing uh, groups of Christians in all the world, evangelical Christian. Uh, and yet many of us don't exactly understand what that means. The word evangelical has right in the middle of it the word angel. Now, most of you know what the word angel means. If you take the angel out of evangelical, all you've got is evical. And I believe tonight what we've got in the church is a lot of evicals. We've got a whole lot of uh, evicals filling the pews of churches all around the world and especially in the United States of America. The word angel, we think of uh, God's cherubim, the little babies floating with banners covering their private parts. We think of clouds and uh, Michael and Gabriel and other members of 80s bands. And we think of these mighty spiritual creatures. But the word angel simply means messenger. Everybody say it with me tonight. Messenger. When you count yourself as an evangelical, what you're really saying is, I am a messenger of the Most High God. And so my prayer tonight is that we can put the angel back in the word evangelicals so that we don't have to be a bunch of evicals. And I want to begin by looking at this text, a simple mistake that David made that we all begin to make many times. He is making a commitment to himself, whether it's out of fear or out of embarrassment. He says to himself, and just be honest for a minute, minute and ask yourself if you've ever said this to yourself. He says, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. Isn't that what we say to ourselves? Yeah, when they're talking it up, yeah, when they're boasting, when they're saying wicked things, when they're even accusing uh, me of evil, then you know what? Zip the lip, throw away the key. I'm not talking. I'm not saying anything. I'll play the cold shoulder. This is what we do to our spouses many times when we're angry. And uh, so this is a a strategy in the mind of David. He says, you know what? I'm just not going to say anything. Sometimes that is well warranted. There are some people who speak first and think later. For you, I want to I want you to hear this message. I will watch what I will uh, what I do and not sin in what I say. In the multitude of words, sin abounds. It says in Proverbs. There is a good reason for his commitment. He doesn't want to sin with his mouth. And this is a good motivation, James 1:26 says, if you claim to be religious and don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Got to love the, the, uh, the brother of Jesus breaking it down for us. Amos 5, 13, those who are smart keep their mouths shut for it is an evil time. Now, the, the reason that David is saying this in this psalm is probably for a good reason. The same reason why many of us would say the same thing to ourselves because We've said a few things that we regret in our lives. Am I the only one who said a few things and you wish that as soon as those words exit your lips, you wish that there were little strings attached 
that you could grasp onto and reel them back in because they had so much poison and evil. David had probably said a few things that he regretted and probably said them in righteous indignation to ungodly people. That's why he says, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to engage with them. I'm going to be the bigger man. But see, in this, uh, in this motivation, it is very easy for us to do something that every driver's education class will teach you about, and that is overcorrection. Anybody here taking a driver's education class? One of the first things you'll learn in driver's education, you're learning to drive a vehicle, is you have to be careful about overcorrection, right? If there is some danger on the side of the road, if there's a tire in the middle of the lane, that you're going to have to steer around it. But what you have to be very careful of is jerking the wheel too hard, too quickly. Or if your car begins in the rain, begins to drift to one direction, one of the most common mistakes that new drivers will make is as their car is drifting to one side, they will too quickly pull the wheel in the other direction, overcorrecting can be dangerous yes so david in his desire to keep his mouth pure i believe makes the mistake of overcorrecting. he says you know what i'm just going to be a silent believer i will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around he says fine i'm not going to sin with my lips watch this zip, zip the lip i'm not saying nothing And this is where so many of God's people have found themselves. A generation of evicals. People who have come to know salvation in Christ, who have understood the gospel. How many of you have understood the gospel? And responded to it with repentance and faith. Have begun to trust the Lord with all of your life and try to follow his commandments and obey his word. And yet, when it comes time to do this work of evangelism, we find ourselves with zipped lips. The English philosopher Edmund Burke printed his mark on history when he said these words, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. When good people are silent when good christians don't speak that is the only thing necessary for evil to continue its reign in our generation tonight may i just remind you that if you don't speak jesus doesn't speak jesus His spirit is still here, but his body is not. His body is in heaven with the Lord at the right hand of God. But he has left a a form, a shadow of his body on the earth, and that is us. We are called the body of Christ. How many still with me tonight? And if we have a body that has no lips, if we have a body that has no tongue to speak, If you had a child that was five or six or seven years old and not said a word, you'd be very concerned about that child, wouldn't you? 
just in, uh, in our recent trip to Africa in October. Some of these ladies that are here tonight, you were there and you saw as a family brought their child up to the altar after service one night. Four years old, this child had not spoken a single word. And they were concerned. They said there's something wrong with her. She hasn't spoken. Because that's a problem, right? There's either some kind of mental uh, problem. There's some kind of trauma. There's some, something is wrong because she's not speaking. They brought this girl up. We prayed for her. And then when I went back just a couple months ago in month of June, they brought the same girl. They uh, came to me and they said, Pastor, now uh, we thank you for praying because now uh, we're, we're asking you to pray again because now she's talking too much. God did a great miracle, but, uh, but she's so noisy. Here's what I'm saying tonight. If you're a believer for one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, and you're not speaking about Jesus, something wrong. Something wrong. We need to pray for you tonight. We need to pray for a miracle to put the angel back in evangelical. See, what David forgot about in our scripture is he forgot about the human factor. Sometimes, many times, it is necessary for righteous people to speak up. It is necessary for us to speak in situations where there are ungodly around us. There are times in your life, are you listening to me this evening, there are times where silence is sin. There are times that you will face a moment where to speak is God's command and to stay quiet is to sin against him. There are examples of this in the word of God. How about Adam in the Garden of Eden? We read the account of the temptation that the serpent came to Eve and began to tell her all these lies about how she can take of this fruit and she's going to be wise and she's going to have all the things that God's been holding back from her. She says, hey, that's a pretty good idea. And the question you have to ask, where's Adam? If you read the text, it's almost like he's not even there. Like he stumbles on the scene and says, oh, what happened here? But then you read that she took of the fruit and then what? That she gave to her husband. What? Were you there the whole time? Were you listening to this, Adam? Were you watching this? Were you there, but you were silent? Pastor Campbell preached a whole message, series of messages on the silence of the man in the garden. If only Adam would have said, get out of here, Satan. That's not what God said. If only someone would have spoke instead of being silent. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. If I warn the wicked, saying you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their death. If you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself 
because you obeyed me. Do you hear what God is saying to Ezekiel? The prophet of God who has been commissioned to speak on behalf of God. The whole reason Ezekiel is there in the nation of Israel. He's saying, you are there to speak my words to my people and to the ungodly. And he says, if I command you to speak and you don't speak, guess what? Your blood, their blood will be on your hands. I will hold you responsible, Ezekiel, because you were silent when I told you to speak. But he says, even if you tell them and they don't listen, then you will be saved because you have obeyed me in many situations silence means acquiescence that's a big word what does that mean in other words if you stay silent in the face of wickedness that means that we agree with it we look back on situations that occurred during uh, world war ii where there were nations there was people that were being slaughtered the the the, the uh, uh, Holocaust against the Jews had already begun starting, and many of the nations there in Western Europe they could have done something, they could have said something, but they didn't. They didn't want to make a Hitler angry. They didn't want the tanks rolling across their countryside. There was even an instance of a of a, a ship that came across the Atlantic to New York City filled with Jewish people. America had the chance to take them in, and we didn't. We were silent. No, we don't want to upset. There was political forces at work sent them back to Europe. There was times when we could have spoken, when we could have done something. Silence means we agree. I wonder tonight, what do you agree with by not speaking up? In Acts chapter 8, we read about Saul. Saul was one of the witnesses. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. You read about this testimony that he mentions this later on in the epistles that he writes. And he remembers it almost like it haunts him. He remembers being there and witnessing the death of Stephen as they stoned him to death for preaching the gospel. And he remembers it with horror saying that by holding the garments and by watching, by not saying anything, he said, I participated in that wicked action. And many times when we stand back and do like David said, we say to ourselves, no, I'm not going to say anything. What we're really doing is participating in evil. But look at the results of this in verse 2 of our scripture. David says, as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. Everybody say the word turmoil. Have you ever felt turmoil in your soul? Have you ever felt the conviction of God boiling in your soul saying you could say something right now? You could speak two or three words and change this situation. You could speak and say, ah, shouldn't be t- talking like that. I've had to do that a couple of times with my coworkers. It's not always comfortable. It's a little bit awkward sometimes. But when they're, they're using profanity and they're talking about 
they're cursing the name of God and they're speaking blasphemies, I'm gonna say, I have to say to them, hey, you're not going to talk like that when I'm around. You're not going to talk about the one who saved me like he's a cuss word. And that's a little bit awkward. Takes takes some guts. It's a lot easier to say, I will not say anything. I'll just let them die in their sins. Isn't that the way that you got saved, Patrick? A brother Chris Sost caught you saying a few things. And he said, you're not going to talk like that around me. And that simple action brought this man to church. Can you believe that? And there he sits, an usher in our congregation with a tie on, looking slim and trim because someone corrected him against blasphemy. I thank God for the turmoil that God puts into our souls. The word in Hebrew, it means sorrow, grief, and pain. Mental and physical suffering. Does God give you sorrow, grief, and pain? Oh, no, Jesus loves me. He's not a God who would give me sorrow, grief, and pain. Oh, yes, he does. When you're disobedient and when you could say something, I pray for the conviction of God to bubble in your, in your belly. Because silence can be a sin. I had a dream a few, uh, a few years back that I, somehow has always stuck with me, this disturbing dream that I had, especially as a preacher. My dream was that I was behind a pulpit and I had a message and I was in front of a crowded church. But my mouth couldn't speak. It was like I was taking deep breaths and trying to say things and trying to speak and the audience was hungry to hear but I couldn't say anything. My mouth was incapable of saying what needed to be said. And I tell you, what did it bring to my soul? It brought anguish and turmoil. I wonder how many times has God prepared an audience for you? Just like it said in that video, uh, Mr. Mark Hall, and he says, there are some people the preacher will never get to. There's some people in your life that I would never be able to witness to. That leaders, the people who wear ties in our church or, you know, people who uh, want to be preachers. There's some people you know that only you have access to. And I wonder, when you're in that situation, will you be able to speak? Jesus spoke about his followers and he told us, He compared us to some very interesting things. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Salt. Boy, I love salt. I love it a little too much. When people tell me that's a lot of salt you're putting on your food there, you know what I tell them? I am the salt of the earth. Salt brings any dish an even greater level of satisfaction and joy. That good, salty soy sauce you put on Chinese food, wow, makes it so much better. But Jesus says, you are the salt. The salt of the earth that makes everything that it touches 
better. Can I tell you that's what the church is supposed to do? That you just add a Christian to any scenario, it should make it better. You just add an evangelical, a messenger, into any wicked situation, and it should get better. Just by your presence, just by contact, just by proximity, the salt of the earth is called to make everything around it better, unless, Jesus said, the salt loses its flavor. That's the church full of ethicals. Salt that is lost its flavor. He says this kind of salt is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You say, what is that? You, have you ever seen when it's cold outside and they put the salt on the ground? Even that's good for something. But the salt that's lost its flavor is nothing better than sand. Good for nothing to be trampled. I wonder how many of God's people he's called us to improve every situation around us But the salt has lost its flavor. The second comparison he makes in verse 14, Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they lamp a light and put it under a basket. That sounds like a fire hazard. You know, it's a hazard. When God lights up an individual, a person for Jesus, and we want to keep it under wraps. It's a hazard. That's why there's the turmoil. That's why there's the difficulty, the pain, the conviction that David felt. He says, I've got this burning fire in my soul, but it's stuck under a basket. It's a hazard. There's an unnerving story in Genesis chapter 19 about Abraham's nephew. Verse 14, we know... The lot is there. He's living in Sodom and Gomorrah, a pretty wicked place. And he's there and God has revealed to him the plan that he has to destroy the city. He sent some angels there to rescue Lot and his family. You know the story. And God speaks to Lot and says, listen, you got to get out of here. Take your family with you. It's the last chance because there's coming some nasty stuff. I'm going to destroy this city for its wickedness. And the Bible says that Lot goes to his sons-in-laws. Those are men of Sodom who have married his daughters. And he speaks to his sons-in-law, and he tells them, listen, guys, angels were here. They told me that tomorrow about this time, God's going to destroy the whole city with fire and brimstone. You want to know what God thinks about homosexuality? Read Genesis chapter 19. That's not politically correct, but moving forward. And he tells his sons-in-law about this, and listen to what they said. Uh, Genesis 19, 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. They couldn't take him seriously. They thought... That he was making a joke. I want to tell you, beloved, there will come a day when you will need to say something important to someone that you care about. These men were married to his daughters. He wanted to see his daughters and his grandchildren 
make it out of the city. He spoke to them, but they didn't take him seriously. Sometimes we, we speak into situations, but because our lives are not serious about the things of God, we don't have a testimony. There will come a day when people who need to desperately hear what you have to say, but will they listen to you? Now let's close and talk about harnessing the fire. Look at verse 3 of our scripture as we close. Psalm 39, verse 3. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got igniting a fire of words. That's what I'm hoping happens tonight. That you would not be able to put the light, put the basket over the light any longer. That you would not be able to contain the turmoil that God is putting in your soul for a certain someone to hear the gospel. The Bible says that our tongue is like a fire. Your tongue is like a fire. James 3 verse 5, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Whoa. That makes me want to get the scissors and start cutting tongues out. Right? Set on fire by hell? Really? No wonder David wants to close his mouth. But think about that image for a moment. The tongue is like a fire. Can be extremely, extremely destructive. Every forest fire begins with a little campfire or a little cigarette butt flicked out of a window or a lightning strike. And one point can devour an entire forest, right? The tongue is dist- can be destructive like that, can't it? You say one word which leads to an argument, which leads to the destruction of a marriage or a home or a family or a relationship, right? It can lead to that. That the tongue, like a fire, can be extremely destructive, but at the same time, a fire can be a wonderful blessing. If you have a fireplace in your home and you light a little fire in there, you can, as a family, sit around with your books open, smiling at each other, keeping warm by the fire, toast some marshmallows, right? Fire can be a nice thing, can be comforting. All of you, if you drove a car here tonight, you came here on the power of fire. Fire that was harnessed by a combustion engine. That fuel mixed with oxygen, explosions happening every split second. And that's what propelled your car all the way to church tonight. Same power of fire. So what I'm telling you tonight is that the same destructive fire that can destroy forests can also be a great blessing if it can be harnessed. What I'm telling you tonight is what David discovered that when He allowed God to harness his tongue. And he was able to put the angel back in evangelical. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We talk a lot about the death. We warn, better be careful what you say. But we forgot that in that scripture, it also says that life 
is in the power of the tongue. There are very very few people in this world, very few Christians, that got saved because they watched a program on the television or because they saw a message in the sky or because they were out at wandering in nature and marveling at the beauty of God's creation. Wow, I must get saved today. Maybe a few out there, but not very many. Do you know how most people get saved? When one friend goes to another friend and speaks the message of the gospel. That's how most of you got saved, isn't it? Somebody was brave enough to overcome one awkward moment and tell you that you're a sinner in need of salvation. Somebody who became an angel, a messenger for God, who allowed God to harness the fire in their mouth so that they could speak for God. Jeremiah 20, verse 9, I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing it, and I could not. God's word in the mouth of Jeremiah could not stay where it was. Luke 24, 32, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us and while he opened to us the scripture? My call tonight is to let the Holy Spirit harness the fire of your tongue. We are a Pentecostal church. And I submit to you tonight that the primary purpose of Pentecost, the primary aim of the day of Pentecost, was this, inside your mouth. Yes, we know that God wanted to get his people excited and give them courage and passion to live for God, but most of all, to harness the tongue. That day in the book of Acts, Chapter 2, it says that there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues, interesting word there, tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the first sign that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit? They began speaking. God harnesses. The tongue to use it for the kingdom. Verse 14, Peter stepped out with the eleven and shouted to the crowd. That was a little bit awkward. The same Peter who had just denied a few weeks earlier publicly. The same Peter that had to be redeemed by Jesus by the sea. The same Peter who had tarnished his reputation and yet... His tongue was harnessed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks, and thousands of people hear the gospel. I close with these quotes, and then I'm going to show you this video. Charles Spurgeon says, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. If we're Christians, 
Now, we ought, to want, we ought to want other people to be Christians too. If that desire is not in you, this is the wrong church for you. But listen to this other quote, Charles Spurgeon. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Powerful. The call tonight is to put the angel back in evangelical. When we look around this building tonight, there's one demographic that's missing, except for one, one person, my cousin here tonight. She's the only one here under the age of 20, except for our little children. My call tonight is that we need a wave of evangelism that will result in the salvation of people under the age of 20. It's summertime. There's a lot of kids that are not in school. They don't have a lot to do. But we have an answer for their lives. Maybe you know somebody like that who lives next door to you. Maybe you know a family, a couple, that needs the Lord. Maybe the only thing standing between them and their salvation is your willingness to overcome that awkward moment. To be brave enough for just a moment to let heaven harness the fire in your tongue and use it for the kingdom of God. Go ahead, Caitlin. We're going to see this uh, this incredible uh, song, and then we're going to close the service tonight. Thank you.